0: Hello to all my people, and if you're listening to this podcast, you are most definitely my people. Welcome to another episode of Botch Spots and Chair Shots. We still have high hopes of delivering quality wrestling content, but at worst, we'll deliver mediocre wrestling content. But we'll sprinkle in some office trivia and community jokes, you know, so we still get over it. I'm your host, a chef by trade and a mark by choice. I'm the Will Gray. I'm glad to be here with you on this journey, and today that journey will be our superstar Showcase. Remember, here at Botch Spots and Chair Shots... We're calling in the ring from all the angles. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm happy to invite once again on the show today is the yellow shoe guy, Mr. Bobby Mack. Bobby, how you doing, brother? Doing great. Thanks for the invitation. Okay. So today we're going to be discussing, we're going to have a little bit of a superstar showcase or something similar to that. Uh, we're going to discuss the Shield, uh, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns. So let's go ahead and get started. What do you think about most when I mentioned to you the Shield?
1: Um, I think they're one of the most powerful groups in professional wrestling history, especially, you know, now modern history. Um, You know, comparing them to the Horsemen, uh, maybe even Evolution, DX, uh, you know, they're probably right up there. I'd say like probably the top 10 group, which to me, like that says a lot for this generation
0: to actually have a group like that would you really consider them a top 10 like stable or would you consider it a tag team? Or are you going with like the free bird rule here and considering it all just one big, massive stable?
1: No, I'd say a staple. Um, I'm, I think they're a little bit more than the free birds um, because of their gang mentality. Uh, it seemed like, you know, they, they were more like, you know, if, if they were going to ready to like lose a match, the other ones are coming in. Like there's always that danger factor of what's going to
0: happen and that uncertainty with the shield. So let's go ahead and start with the, uh, the, the first original run of The Shield. So we're going to go back way back to 2012. It's been almost, almost 10 years ago now. Um, they debuted at Survivor Series in November. Um, so this was fresh off of NXT. You had Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns all coming out. Dean Ambrose eventually kind of becomes the de facto leader and mouthpiece. So let's kind of talk about that period of them when they came out, that 2012 reign when uh, they first came
1: out. Yeah, like they were like mercenaries for CM Punk. Like CM Punk, Paul Heyman, there was never really like a line drawn of like what they were, like, you know, how involved they were with them. Um, But honestly, like from NXT, it was a big deal. Like it seemed like this was the first group since the Nexus that had come from up from NXT that like was coming up to
0: WWE to dominate um when they came on that you were right they came on as kind of working for cm punk they came in in the main event of survivor series and they were kind of going on and around and they helped cm punk um cena and ryback that was that whole big mess so following all of that um they kind of started appearing you're definitely right they're series let's talk about the whole coming through the crowd thing what do you think about that kind of uh aspect of what they were doing do you think that was kind of early for their time over for their time like what do you think about it because we've seen guys since try to do it yeah like i would think
1: back like the last time we really saw people come through the crowd was the nwo like 12 14 years earlier than what this group did um it kind of generates like what you think about though like when you think about heels and the difference between the generations you know, a generation of heels in the 80s or 70s, 60s could never walk through the crowd. Like, they would get beat up. And these guys came through, like, they, they were just dominant forces that just came in. And the crowd separated. So, whether it was for, you know, the respect of the guys or the security in the building, the shield coming through the crowd was very unique, especially in WWE. Because at that point in time, nobody was coming through the crowd. They were being very well protected by the wall uh, during, like, down the aisle.
0: So let's take a look at this. Uh, When they first came out, Rollins was the inaugural NXT champion at that time. Um, He would go on to lose that title to Big E E Langston. So big shout out to Big E right there for uh, an NXT championship. But that was their push to go full-time onto the main roster. Um, I would say as of probably around January or February of 2013, they were full-time on the main roster. By this point, they were doing – um uh, lots of tag matches lots of stuff like that they started to have rivalries and stuff with some other wrestlers and some other groups let's kind of talk about that they did some stuff with uh Kofi Kingston Kane Rob Van Dam they had some in and outs so let's kind of talk about it now that they're on the main roster and moving forward right before they start getting title opportunities what do you think about them when they first moved to the main roster you know they came in like with a force and you know Ambrose
1: and Rollins had a history together, like from before WWE through the Indies, um, and then, you know, developed even more in the developmental uh, stage of Florida championship wrestling. Um, You know, uh, Roman Reigns was just kind of thrown in there. And as they went, it seemed like, you know, it grew and it grew. Um, You know, I think some of their best matches were, you know, Cody, Cody Rhodes and Goldust, um, you know, where they got, they got to experience a lot of matches with guys that had a lot of experience and i think that helped carry them through you know um they these guys i would say you know the shield but like they they learned they learned so much from the um individuals that they went in the ring with and i think it was very smart booking on wwe's part that they put them with veterans
0: so the the push when they started getting put through. Do you think working with guys that were already established in the ring, even losing, they eventually won and then lost the tag team titles to Goldust and Cody. Do you think that the the booking at the time was one of the things that helped solidify them as main eventers? Because eventually all three of these guys held WWE championships. Do you think the early booking with them getting rushed to the main roster was really what helped establish them as main event stars?
1: Yeah, like when you look at it, like they were pushed – very, very quick, but they were also pushed against Kane, Rob Van Dam, um, Randy Orton, Daniel Bryan, like all these guys that are world champions at, you know, some point in time in their career, like the shield had no choice, but to learn from these guys. And I think that was their biggest, like their, their biggest thing with WWE is these guys were probably pushed the best of anybody in the past 10 years.
0: So as we, uh, we start pushing forward, uh, they eventually all hold gold. Um, Ambrose wins the, uh, United States title and then Rollins and Reigns both hold the WWE tag team titles. So at one point they're kind of, uh, the original version of the, the undisputed era, I guess like, uh. Not the original one, but but like the uh, in modern wrestling history, it's the first time where we've had a stable come in and kind of collect gold and every member have gold. Um, so let's talk about that. Now they're started to uh, they came in, they've established themselves, and now they're starting to collect belts.
1: Yeah, like I, you know, I feel like the Horsemen were probably the first ones that everybody had a belt. You know, Flair was the world, um, Wyndham was the U.S., and then Anderson and Blanchard were the tag team. Um, I'm not always a big fan of that pattern because it seems like Triple H has followed that pattern more and more. Like, you know, it came to Evolution. They all had the four, you know, they all had the belts. Um, you know, when you talk about Undisputed Era, they all had the belts. With The Shield, though, I'd say it was kind of unique because you didn't see Rollins and Reigns as a formidable tag team. They were just part of this group. And I think that's what makes them unique because... A lot of the other times, like, you know, there's a definite tag team in this. But to me, I saw the Shield as three individuals where these two individuals just teamed up and happened to win the tag team straps.
0: Okay, so you're definitely viewing this as a, a constant stable. This isn't a, a tag team. So even after the Shield broke up and some of these guys re-tag team under the name the Shield, do you still think it qualified? Like, do you still look at it as the whole or when it was just Rollins and Ambrose or Reigns and Ambrose? Do you still think that qualifies? Would you still count them as a whole as being the shield then? Or do you think those individual tag team appearances were uh, separate in between?
1: Um, I don't think it's ever a one-off when two guys are part of a group that come in. Like when you look at, let's, let's talk about Blanchard and Anderson. You know, they weren't originally a tag team with the horsemen. In fact, Blanchard was the national heavyweight champion and Anderson was the television champion. Um, They both lost those perspective um single belts and then came together as a tag team out of nowhere. You know, granted when they went to WWE, they became the Brainbusters and then they were tag team gold. Um and they kept developing that way. With The Shield, I don't feel like they ever developed that tag team mentality um whether it was, you know, Ambrose, Reigns or Rollins that was in the matches, you know, just you know as a two on uh two tag team. Um that you know they didn't have those tag team moves or whatever like the Brainbusters developed later on. So it's hard to call them a tag team. I just feel like they're so great as individuals that it didn't matter if you were an individual versus an individual or you were two on two or three on three, these guys were going
0: to find a way to win and dominate. Do you think that the WWE's use of them and tag team work was any implication of their abilities to work as single guys? Do you think there was any hesitation there to bring them on? as a full-time main event talent until they got a little bit more experience? like Which way do you think it goes? Do you think they were using that as an opportunity to get TV time and get them like, worked on? Or do you think they were just kind of running with the shield concept? I think when you have
1: Roman Reigns, who's very green at that point in time, you have to protect him. He's obviously later on gonna be the biggest star that they can produce. Um, and I think that was their developmental process with Roman Reigns which was smart on their part, WWE part, was he had to be with somebody else. He had to be protected in the ring. And that's what happens a lot of times. Like, you know, you see people like, you know, Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty. Shawn's obviously the better person, uh, athlete, wrestler. Marty gets taken care of. Um, You know, you see that later on Hogan and Warrior when they tag team for just that small amount of time or Savage and Warrior, they tag team for a small amount of time it's longer matches with the guys that can't go as long to be able to make sure they can keep going.
0: <coughs> so, uh, I mean, well said, I mean, you pretty much got it. So kind of moving on in a little bit of time, they spent some time as enforcers for triple H. Um, they had a little bit of opportunity to kind of play the, uh, I wouldn't really call them the corporate role, but I mean, that's kind of what they were doing. Right. They were uh, to kind of, helping Triple H avoid Evolution at this point, I guess, right? If I remember right?
1: No, Triple H was part of Evolution. Um, their feud was against Triple H and Evolution. Um, what happened was with Triple H, he uh, he took Evolution back. He had Randy Orton, he had Batista, and himself, no Flair this time. Uh, obviously, Flair had already retired on TNA, all that kind of, like, history. Uh, he's not allowed to wrestle in WWE ever again. Um And the feud happened between the three members of Evolution versus three members of the Shield. Uh, After Evolution lost twice to the Shield, then what happened was Triple H said, there's always a plan B. And by saying there's always a plan B, you've got Ambrose, Rollins, and Reigns all standing in the ring. Rollins has a chair. Uh, Ambrose and Reigns step up towards the ropes And Rollins stands back and hits Reigns over the back with a chair, then attacks Ambrose with a chair, and he basically breaks up the shield.
0: I think you're a little bit ahead of me. You're talking about the the, the eventually breakdown. At one point um, on Raw, the shield was working for Triple H and aiding the champion, um, Randy Orton, at the time. Like, this is before the Evolution breakdown. You're ahead of me they were kind of an enforcer to protect Randy Orton at the time. You're thinking of the very end in the breakup when what came down was you're thinking of the Rollins t- heel uh, turn when he takes Triple H side, he eventually wins money in the bank, he cashes in. You're you're about a year and a half ahead of me. But uh point made, I see what you're saying. We can go ahead and jump ahead there too is uh the the inevitable breakup Rollins take Triple H side, he decides he's going to go with the uh, the corporate side. He um, joins in. He eventually goes on to win Money in the Bank and cashed in the contract to become the heavyweight champion at WrestleMania. It was um, arguably one of the biggest cash ins, I would think, at that point. Uh, when he came out, it, the match had just ended. He came out, he cashed in, he hit it, was done, and uh, he kind of like he he owned that situation. And then subsequently, Reigns went on and won the 2015 Royal Rumble. So what you had was, was a member of the Shield already in the title scene. Then you had Reigns coming up and winning and having an opportunity to mainline head of, or main event at uh, WrestleMania. And then you had Dean Ambrose, who eventually would become, he was the first of the three to become a Triple Crown champion, but he was always highly regarded in the, the singles range. So let's kind of talk about this now that we're starting to break the three of them up. Let's kind of deep dive a little bit into each of their individual careers so uh, I'll let you have dealer's choice. Which ones do you want to go with first? I'd say let's go with uh, Rollins first,
1: um, because it's interesting that he was the first one to win the world championship. Uh, because really when you look at the shield, he's probably number three of the three guys. Like, you know, I would definitely put Ambrose first as the leader. I put Reigns second, and then I put Rollins uh, in there just because he's there. <laughs> but yeah, for him to win the championship first, like, that was a big thing. Like, his ROH career, he's a small guy. Like, he's not, he's not a typical WWE guy. Um, and for him to win the belt first, they put a lot of respect on Rollins at that point and put a lot behind him to make him be
0: that guy. It was Adam Cole before Adam Cole was around. I mean, Cole was working in the Indies at that point, but Rollins was the original, like, small guy to become champion. They put a lot of their stock in him. They let him. They let him carry it too. Um, Seth Rollins' initial uh, championship reign was huge. He did a lot of really nice things. He, you know, he winning the Money in the Bank, cashing it in by itself was the, one of the biggest WrestleMania moments in a while. Um, the following year, he uh, he was fighting Brock Lesnar. You know, he started to do the Beast Slayer thing, and he was all over the place there. Um, he had a feud with Triple H when they turned on him um so like Seth Rollins has had a pretty elaborate career he's still currently right now one of the biggest I would say headliners he's definitely been more mid-card the last year but COVID's kind of ruined everything he hasn't really done a whole lot in the 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 championship scene as of late um but I would say he's probably had one of the more decorated singles careers of the three of them at least in WWE
1: yeah like my thing with Rollins is I liked his character like, he was going places with this character. Like, this new character that he's doing with the blue suit and all that kind of stuff, I'm not a big fan of. Um, I like the fact that he picked up the CM Punk mantle of, like, leading this um, godlike thing, the Messiah of Monday Night, or, like, whatever he was calling himself. Um, but with Rollins, like, my thing with him is he always seems like, you know, he, he would make a good flair-type champion where you need help. Like, you need help to win. And that's like that's what Flair did his entire career, always needing help to win. I think Rollins does the exact same thing. I don't see him as a dominant champion. I don't see him as somebody that we're ever going to talk about, like, 30 years from now. And that's my thing with Seth Rollins
0: is he's going to be a forgotten champ. I don't think he'll be a forgotten champ. I think you're right, though. The Monday Night Messiah, when that was his hill run, he should have had that hill run after he turned with Triple H. I feel like that was a better thing, bringing in people to kind of work behind him and building his own, like, he wasn't building a stable, but he was building his own group of people that were following him and kind of did his bidding. Because you're absolutely right. I think if that Seth Rollins had the championship as a heel, having people like AOP come out and having him, like, pretty much run his business for him, so all he had to do was deal with his singles matches, like... I feel like the Monday Night Messiah and the Embrace the Vision style version of Rollins probably would have prospered better closer to five or six years ago when Rollins did his first Hill turn. I think the Hill version of Rollins now is misused in the storylines that they have going. So I feel like he's not going to be a forgotten champion. He's going to be one of the best champions to come out of this generation of wrestlers, wrestlers. But I feel like his booking and the way his style was used, I feel like it was backwards. I feel like his first hill turn was kind of sloppy. They kind of like the breakup of using it as a breakup of the uh, the shield. I don't really I don't know. I feel like he's one of those placeholder guys. You talk about that a lot.
1: He wasn't really he wasn't yeah, like, carrying
0: the company, but he was doing his thing, you know?
1: Yeah, they rushed the breakup. Like, I really feel like they rushed the breakup. Um, and uh, he's kind of like as a champion to me, like he, he's in that spot that CM Punk, they put CM Punk in uh, when he first had the belt was he's the champion, but he's not the main eventer. And that's where Rollins is. Um, Rollins is actually like even a little bit different. Like they try to push him like for the main event, but they always have Reigns in the background. And it's like, even though Rollins is the champ, Reigns is there. And they've all like, there's always this feeling that Reigns is their guy. And no matter who's the champ, especially in this point when you have Rollins or Ambrose, is Reigns the guy that, is the, that they want to push.
0: And that's the guy they want to be champ. Well, there's no denying right now that Roman Reigns is arguably the biggest talent in the industry. He's definitely got no major competition on SmackDown right now. Bringing back John Cena is going to put butts in the seats. But I don't know necessarily if that's going to really make the long-term pop that it needs because i don't think taking the strap off of roman and putting it on cena and then cena losing it to somebody is going to do anything for the to develop this story um so let's segue over to roman i guess next and let's talk a little bit about where he's at since the breakup of the shield um he won his first championship in 2015 um he had some like he had some big feuds with some guys. He went through Kevin Owens. He's been through Cesaro. He's beaten up Triple H a time or two. Like, let's kind of start talking about uh, post-Shield Roman Reigns.
1: Yeah, so Reigns was obviously the one that, you know, they they strapped a rocket to him, and they wanted him to take off. But what happens when WWE pushes somebody too hard? Just, you know, look at Rocky Maivia. Um Look at Lex Luger when he came over. When WWE straps a rocket to these guys and wants you to love them, the fans reject them. And, you know, just like those two, they weren't ready for the spotlight. They weren't ready for the main event. And Reigns was the same way. Where Reigns is today versus where he was, you know, five years ago is incredible. His heel turn is phenomenal. Um, being with Paul Heyman is phenomenal. You know, I know Heyman is a talker. Heyman is, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, Heyman, Brock Lesnar, I don't think would get over um, just from talking and whether, you know, now Reigns is starting to talk. If you notice, like during the Shield last call or last uh, last show, whatever it was, Reigns didn't speak on the microphone like Ron spoke, Ambrose spoke. Reigns didn't say a thing because he's not comfortable in the mic. John Cena's called him out for not being comfortable on the mic. I think John Cena's quote was, um, if you were able to do your job, I wouldn't have to be here. And that was a couple years ago. Reigns is not good on the microphone until now. And you've got to credit all that to Paul Heyman. Like, I don't know if Reigns didn't spend any time with Dusty Rhodes down the next or what, but if you don't, like if you're not able to talk people in the seats, then they're not going to come. Like you're not a main eventer, but Reigns has got there. And he is definitely the most compelling current
0: WWE superstar there is. So looking at it from that perspective, do you think it took, do you think Paul Heyman was the missing link? Because they all did the same. They all went through the same training in uh, Florida championship and eventually NXT. Do you think it took getting Paul Heyman this late in his career, giving him the opportunity to, uh, to start working on the mic better? Because see, I feel personally, You're absolutely right. That was the thing that Roman specifically was missing the most. The other two had no problem speaking. I would say Ambrose was always a better speaker than he was a wrestler in a lot of cases. I feel like when we get to him, we'll discuss his stylistic. But I feel like what got him over was his mouth and the fact that he was just one of those big boy brawler fight him up guys. Once again, we'll get there in a second for Ambrose still on Rollins, though. I feel like Rollins never had the same opportunity. He was definitely the muscle of the group. You know, he wasn't the brains of the operation. He was the brawn. He was there just to beat people up when they needed it. So yeah, it's all that's when what he needed... Yeah, when he like, was in the shield, did. they didn't need him to be a mouthpiece because they had Ambrose as the de facto leader, followed by Rollins, both of which who could speak.
1: Yeah, like you put Reigns in the middle of the triple power bomb because he's the guy that can pick anybody up. You know, he's he's that guy. Um, you know, he's the muscle of the group. You know, he's the Lex Luger. He's the Barry Windham. He's the Sid Vicious of the Horseman. He's that guy. Like, you don't have to have those guys speak because you got th- like other speakers around them. Um, they do the, all the talking to get people in the seats. And then when it comes down to the action, that's the guy that, you know, you run into the middle of the ring and you stop because they're going to dominate you. Um, Reigns never had that. He never developed that. And Grant, he started late in the history of Rollins and Ambrose or yeah. So, you know, he just came in as that muscle guy and he learned from them. And that's what you do. Like that's, that's why they put Luger and the horsemen to learn from these veterans. You know, that's why you put Paul Roma, one of the worst horsemen ever in the group, like to learn from them. Like you always have that weak link. When you look at evolution, you had Flair and Triple H, and then you had green Dave Bautista, you had green Randy Orton. Granted, Randy Orton had a lot of pedigree behind him, but pedigree only gets you so far. You look at at, um, Farouk and their group. You put The Rock in that group because Rock has to learn from all these other guys. You put Mark Henry in that group so Mark Henry learns from these guys. That's exactly what happened with Roman Reigns. He got in there and he had to learn from these other people that what his job was. And your job is, yes, performing the ring, but be able to grab that stick and
0: talk. I feel like Roman also had it coming back on that with it. Uh, Coming out of football, he was, his family is historically known for being a wrestling family, but he didn't want to use his family as what got him into wrestling so he started he was the classic football player pro football player switch over to wrestling when he when he retires kind of thing um so that was kind of his catch and his flip with it um do you feel like his i mean when he retired from football started training and then made his debut in the shield we're talking about 18 months of training In your business, in your time with the business, have you ever thought or seen a guy go from starting training to being on national TV in 18 months?
1: No, no. And it's, you know, his family's amazing history. Name one good talker in that family.
0: I would say The Rock, but maybe maybe it's a stretch. Like, it's a stretch to count him in that family. Yeah. Um the wild samoans had a yeah
1: yeah you got jimmy snooko who doesn't talk you have the wild samoans um you know his brother uh that was the superhero in training um you know you've got 3 minute warning who talked in that family they were all muscle heads they were all you know not even muscle heads they were kind of chubby but you know <laughs> Samoa. <laughs> but like that was like that was their whole family dynamic was they just came in they dominated in the ring and then they left they had captain lou as their manager in most cases as a mouthpiece this is the first member of the family that's actually had to be a speaker and like you know his cousins now uh, the usos they're getting better at speaking um but honestly if you put a good manager with them if you, if you had a bobby heenan with the usos if you had a Jimmy Hart with the Usos, they would be, I'd say, 10 times better than what they are. Um, you know, granted, they're, you know, they are great now, but you had a mouthpiece with those guys, it'd be through the roof. And that's where Heyman is coming in. Like he's supporting now the Usos and Reigns. He's driving this force. They are great in the ring, good in the ring, but they're not great on the outside. And what put people the butts and seats. I'll say it again: is you got to talk them into the building.
0: Random fact about Roman Reigns: You ready for this? Okay. He had nine career tackles as a professional football player. Five of them came in one game. <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> just to put that work. in perspective, <laughs> um, I was just reading that when I was looking through his information. I was like, well. He had nine career tackles, and he had one game where he showed out like Rudy style, and he went out there and got five of his career tackles in one game.
1: Um, so crazy. after he rolls a
0: little bit, he went through. He's been a United States champion. He's been a tag team champion. He's been a universal champion. He's been a heavyweight champion. Um, he has not, as far as I know, just to double check before I say that, he, he has held the Intercontinental champion one time. Um, what is he missing? He has a grand slam. He's a triple, triple crown. He checks all the boxes. Okay. Uh, do you Good. think Roman Reigns has a Hall of Fame career outside the shield or with the shield or both? Um, well, let me
1: think about his football career first because a guy that uses a spear and doesn't have tackles, is kind of weird.
0: When you, um, you think about that, nine career tackles and your, one of your finishes is the spear. Like, yeah, know, like at least give, give Goldberg that. Yeah, at least he actually played in an NFL game.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I think Reigns, to say Hall of Fame is so weird nowadays, because WWE Hall of Fame legitimately is kind of a joke. Like, and I say that, like, some of the guys I know personally, like Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express, those guys, man, they deserved it. Like, they busted their ass, and they still bust their ass, It's 30 years later. They're still out there doing the indies um, as a tag team. Those guys deserved it. Agree. Somebody like um, Coco Beware or um, God, uh, there's a limo driver. There's a limo driver, uh, Vince McMahon's limo driver that is in the Hall of Fame. Those guys don't deserve it. If you look at a professional wrestling Hall of Fame, I'm not looking at WWE. I'm looking at the fact of a fan um, that loves the sport, um, loves the entertainment, I would say Roman Reigns is on track for a Hall of Fame career. Um, You know, looking at Goldberg, who had a career of, like, three years or four years, and, you know, this resurgence, you know, that this doesn't make a 30-year career, because the guy started in the 90s. This, Reigns... I think he's on track for a Hall of Fame career, as a,
0: as an individual and as part of a you know the Shield. Um, uh, going backwards, then sorry, I did not ask you that on Rollins. Rollins, Hall of Famer, solo Hall of Famer with Shield, or both? Rollins, Santorez,
1: Reigns. Um, I think he's on track. Uh, you know, it's it's so hard nowadays because they no longer have to put butts in seats. You know, they all have these contracts that just hey you're there you show up you know you don't have to do anything um Rollins is definitely on track I think that he's a guy that if in 10 years from now he's still on top he's still you know making people you know either boo or cheer then yeah he deserves it um but again it's a different time it's a different hall of fame it's not It's no longer the fact of how many belts you held, because back in the day, holding a belt meant that the promoters thought you could put people's butts in seats when you went to the individual places. Now, you buy a ticket for WrestleMania because it's WrestleMania. You buy a ticket for Monday Night Raw because it's Monday Night Raw. Like, you're on TV. It's no longer about trying to promote, like TV shows like Raw and stuff like that used to be. Like That was the catalyst to get people to go to arenas throughout the country and, you know, go in a non-televised environment. It's no longer like that. It's a TV show. It's Family Ties. Okay, so, so I'm
0: going to, uh, to pick your brain here for a second. I'm going to set this up, and I'm going to ask you a question. I want to see where your brain goes at. It's completely off the wall. When we finish this, we'll go into Ambrose and continue on the topic, but you got me. you got my brain going. Let's play hypotheticals here. Let's say somebody like Billy Corgan, who currently owns and operates the N.W.A. Let's say he takes the N.W.A. Hall of Fame, which in a lot of ways, a lot of people say it's 3 wasted letters, like people don't care about the N.W.A. anymore, it doesn't care anyway, but now that it's own independently operated wrestling federation, again, who still has a lot of history when it boils down to it, it's the N.W.A. I mean, Harley Race, you know what I mean? Yeah, 1908. Yeah, so let's take a look at that. And then take a look at somebody like him, like reinvigorating or renewing the NWA Hall of Fame. And he does a Hall of Fame that's not WWE related, but would also include WWE talent. It would be like having the opportunity to, for people who weren't ever WWE stars to be considered for the Hall of Fame. So you would be able to get into a lot of the Mexican guys. You'd get into a lot of the guys from... Uh, uh, the japanese style of wrestling the guys from japan a lot of these guys who never made it to wwf or wwe but still had an opportunity but also wwe talent so you think people like jim Cornette, maybe who would never get admitted into the wwe hall of fame who probably wouldn't accept it anyways but followed up having him have an opportunity to be in a hall of fame that maybe he would give a little give a little bit more care about because of what it would represent long-winded story should the nwa open their own hall of fame discussing professional wrestlers from all promotions not just the wwf so the nwa
1: actually does have a hall of fame
0: I um jim, yeah, yeah jim
1: Cornette he, he's in it is he already um, in it yeah yeah when rock and roll express went into the wwe hall of fame jim cornett actually presented them yeah i knew that uh, yeah so you're saying like if there was a professional wrestling Hall of Fame.
0: You no, know, if the NWA, if the NWA started back the Hall of Fame and started adding people back to it again. They're not currently adding people to their Hall of Fame. They haven't started yeah. adding. But what I'm saying is that Bill, I knew they had a Hall of Fame, and I know there's people in it. What I'm saying is if they started to actively promote. Having classes be added to their Hall of Fame every year again with wrestlers from everybody, not necessarily just the NWA though. What I'm saying yeah. is, is from all promotions.
1: Yeah. So the Cauliflower um, Alley Club in Vegas, they they do a Hall of Fame thing. Um, WWE. I, I'll give them credit. Rock and Roll Express was in there for like five matches, like WWE. Um, Harley Race was in there as the King Dimmitt. Mm-hmm way after he was actually, you know, in his prime, um, Coco beware. If you really look up Coco and as much as I knock him, he was actually a, you know, pretty good wrestler in Memphis with a different style. Um, you know, the WWE hall of fame is a joke just because Vince McMahon chooses who he wants, like politically wise. Um, and who can like present a speech, you know, Nowadays, like you see like Bruiser Brody went in like a couple years ago as not a speaker, but part of the legacy thing. And he started to put people in their legacy to be safe. Like you get a guy like, um, you know, like a Bam Bam Bigelow when he was alive, or you get a guy like uh, Big Van Vader when he was alive. You never know what they're going to say on that microphone. Um, the same thing with the uh, Dynamite Kid. Like you never know what he's going to say. Um So I understand like the political part of that, the thing it like, but some of these guys really do deserve like a speech. Like they deserve their family to go up on the stage and say something like, you know, Kurt Henning, absolutely my favorite wrestler next to Hulk Hogan in my life. Like if you ask my mom, embarrassingly enough, I used to wrestle pillows in the living room and I was called Mr. Perfect. It was because of Kurt Henning. Um, You know, But after he passed, that's when his family went up there. Rick Rude, same thing. Outspoken guy, after he passed, he goes in. Um, Yeah, I think that professional wrestling does deserve a Hall of Fame, just like the Rock and Roll uh, Hall of Fame. Um, You know, just like the stars that are on Hollywood Boulevard for um, movie actors, deserves it. Professional wrestlers are different breed. Only because of what they're doing. Like they, they, you like legitimately in the day, like 10, 20 years ago, if you saw Hulk Hogan on the street, that's Hulk Hogan, not Terry Bolet. Mm-hmm. They had to live their gimmick. Ric Flair was Ric Flair. Arn Anderson was Arn Anderson. They lived their gimmick, they lived their character. When Sylvester Stallone went, you know, anywhere, he wasn't Rocky Balboa, he wasn't Rambo. He wasn't the guy from Cobra. He was Sylvester Stallone. These guys actually had to live their gimmick when they went outside. They weren't getting paid to live that gimmick. Like Anderson or Flair or Ole, any of them, they didn't live that gimmick when they were on the sidewalk. Like they didn't have to, but they did because that's what drew them money. Stallone, Schwarzenegger, all them, they don't have to. And these guys really from the day, I'd say from like, 1995 and before, most every person that ever laced up those boots deserved to be in a Hall of Fame. Like whether it's the Mulkey Brothers or the Rock and Roll Express, the Road Warriors, they
0: all deserve that Hall of Fame nod. Okay, so you agree that whether it's the NWA or not, somebody needs to open a pro wrestling Hall of Fame that's, that allows for people that aren't under Vince McMahon's thumb to be uh, awarded a chance to get in.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, I, I, you know, it'd be so fun, like, to watch, like, walk through, like, a true museum of that, like, I wouldn't care if he was a jobber from the 19, you know, hundreds, like, 1902, whatever, like, to see some boots from somebody, like, to see, like, what they, the trunks they wore, to see, you know, what they were, like, in the ring, like, I think that would be so amazing, like, you know, granted, you know, I'm a Charlie Chaplin fan, so I like the, like, I like the old stuff. Like, I would love to be able to walk through a museum and just see that. Like, the fact that the Smithsonian doesn't have a pro wrestling museum is kind of, like, beside me. Because they have an entertainment museum, they have TV museums, they have movie museums, they have flight museums. Pro wrestling is part of our culture.
0: Agreed. I would love to see the rings, the evolution of the rings, going back to, like, the old Carney days in the the 20s and 30s when it was just you know uh it it wasn't even a work then it was literally just two guys getting into the ring they each got paid you know 20 cents each to beat the crap out of each other and then it evolved in the training but i would love to see like the evolution of the rings from that far back all the way up to where we're at today the different sizes of them they used to be super small compared to where they are wwe currently uses a 20 foot ring But I mean, some of the old NWA days, they were using 18 foot rings. Sometimes in Japan, they use 22 foot rings, which is crazy to think about that the ring goes out that much further in every direction. Like the different sizes of rings, the different styles, seeing what turnbuckles look like 65 years ago versus where they're at now, seeing what ropes look like, you know, 75 years ago versus where we're at now, actual rope ropes versus like, uh, like uh, cables and a lot of people think trampoline springs but it's not really trampoline springs it's like actual heavy metal cables that are wrapped in electrical wiring and different ta- and different colored duct tapes and stuff in a lot of cases yeah. um so i agree i think it'd be super nice to be able to walk into a museum to see the evolution to see where we've been taking a look at gear seeing some of the guys i mean wwe is obviously going to do it because they're working on that current uh the, the the Hidden Treasures thing. Like, they're, they're obviously collecting stuff to show. They're, they're going to be putting a museum together eventually. But I think that having one that goes back further and bigger than the WWWF days, like going back into the 70s, the 60s, and the 50s, and seeing some of this, like, really old-school, just-where-it-went style of wrestling, just to see the evolution of it from then to now. So... Uh, yeah, like, like,
1: the NWA actually at one point was using a 16-foot ring. Like, if you ever see those matches, like, it's, you could legit, like, a tag team, you could, like, tag your partner wherever you are in the ring. Like, it's... Yeah, it's just um, everywhere.
0: everywhere. Yeah, I knew they were... I did, I've never seen a 16-foot ring. I'll have to look a match up for that. I've watched matches in 18-foot rings, and to watch Lucha-style wrestling in an 18-foot ring is ridiculous because those guys move so fast. It doesn't ever mm-hmm. look like they stop touching each other, which is, like... It's ridiculous to see live when you watch guys work in a smaller ring than what you used to. Because most most wrestling fans watch a 20-foot ring. Like, so when you show them something in a smaller ring, they might not notice it a lot. But as somebody who watches a lot of wrestling, like, us, you see somebody work in an 18-foot ring or a 16-foot ring, like you're going to notice the difference as soon as you see it. Um, yeah, like, that's part of the evolution of TNA. Like, when TNA and Impact came on and
1: did the Octagon, um, you know, that was a lot of the boys say that ring sucks. Like it's hard, um, the ropes are hard, it's tough, um, all that and like, you know, that's why Hogan and Bischoff changed it originally. But like, I, I, could, I could definitely see that. Like it's, it's, a, it's a different ring, it's a different look. Um, but yeah, the evolution of the rings from yesterday to today would
0: be amazing. I mean, I would just give a fan an opportunity to get in one and run the ropes. Just so that I see what it feels like. Something somebody might have never had an opportunity to do. I've been in a ring. I've ran the ropes, not professionally or anything like in the business, but I've been in a wrestling ring and ran the ropes. And I know you have too. Like just to give somebody the opportunity to do it who hasn't had an opportunity to ever get in there and do it. And I feel like that would be something that would be fun for a lot of fans. You know what I mean? A foam pit where instead of a wrestling ring, you've got the top rope so you can climb up on the top rope and do moonsaults into a foam pit just to see what it would be like to do a, you know, moonsault off the top, you know, jumping off the top rope, let a kid do a frog splash off the top rope into a, a phone, you know, give them things they can do a fan interactive experience in a Hall of Fame, let them see the different rings, let them see the different gear, championship title belts. So many people think WWF title and they think the, the, the big blue one with the eagle, they think the big gold belt, you know what I mean, they think uh, a few different ones, but for the most part, like that's it, think about all the other title belts that are missing. The NWA title, one of the most ex- historic belts in the the industry, you know. Like, think about all the titles that they would have an opportunity to see.
1: Right, like Triple H has Bruno's original belt in his office. The NWA like, his original belt. Yeah, his original wf belt. Wow. WWF belt. Yeah. um Yeah. So, like, to see that kind of stuff, like in a museum, like, you know, I would definitely pay, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Like, there's millions and millions of fans out there that would go to a museum just just like baseball just like football like we would go see the stuff like in you know the fact that WWE hasn't opened one yet is I, I'm shocked because the Hall of Fame started what 1994 with Andre being put in and it's just grown and grown I don't understand like why they haven't done that stuff yet cuz they're sitting on a warehouse that has Artifacts from everywhere, you know, the big fists from SmackDown, Um, you know, entrance ways, like they have the opportunity to create this and they just haven't yet. And hopefully it will be something soon. I know when Universal closed the NBA restaurant, there was a rumor that WWE was going to buy that and turn it into the Hall of Fame. Um, Turns out it didn't happen. Um, But yeah, that Hall of Fame's got to happen soon,
0: sometime I think, that, uh, I think that it will, and I think it's just a matter of time before somebody does it. I mean, you give Tony Khan 10 years, and he'll make an AEW Hall of Fame in 10 years. He'll start adding people that are still active on his roster. The man's crazy. Yeah, uh, that's, how, and that's what TNA did, too, but TNA screwed up. Like, how do you put Sting in a Hall of Fame when he's, like, your main event guy? He's currently your heavyweight champion, and he's getting inducted into your Hall of Fame. That's not how that works. I yeah, feel like, like he, Tony he, Khan he is getting – I feel like Tony Khan is getting the backing he needs and the support from the right people that if his dad continues to pay it, well, no, no, no. Dad provides the money, but he's got people in his ear now that know wrestling. He's got Paul White. He's got Mark Henry. He's got guys that have been in the industry a long time. Christian Cage, like guys that know the industry and know how to finish and know how to book and people. Yeah, that, he's, he's definitely getting smartened up. Um, but his problem is uh, his inner
1: group is the Young Bucks, Omega. These are guys that have never actually made it on a national stage. And I'll tell you what, like, I was at a training session with Les Thatcher once. And Les told me, because I was like, well, you know, my promoter, I won't say his name. My promoter tells me to do this, this, and this when I'm, you know, doing my commentary or doing um, interviews and does it And Les just looks at me and goes, so how much money has your promoter made in the national scene? I said, "Uh, none. And Les goes, okay, so are you going to listen to guys that actually made money in the national scene or this local promoter that makes a couple bucks doing this thing? And it opened my eyes. And I realized at that point, like, you know, yeah, you know, guys like, you know, Omega and the Young Bucks are over in Japan. But the Japan audience is different than here. Like, if you watch Japan matches, they literally are just, like, clapping like golf clapping. Um, they don't have to talk over there. They don't have to do any of that stuff. It's just in-ring performance. Over here, those guys suck. Like, I don't like the Bucks. I don't like Omega. I think they all suck. Um, and I'd say Cody Rhodes is pretty close because he can't talk either. He's, he's getting better, but he's not, he's not dusty. He's not even uh, dust in. So to me, like that's where people have to, like, that's like, where Tony Khan, to me, like, my advice to him, which he doesn't ever have to listen to me ever, is he has to sit back and relax and understand when you got a big show, when you got a Mark Henry, when you got these guys coming in, these are guys that are still mid card guys, Christian as well, in WWE, that you can listen to. But you have to take it with a grain of salt because they never got to the level. Christian never got to Edge's level. Mark Henry never obviously got to The Rock's level. Big Show never got to Hogan's level.
0: They've been to the show, but they haven't been the show. I can agree to that. One of the things I've always heard said was when you get trained, are you getting trained by somebody who ever paid his bills by wrestling? that was always the way to look at it. Like when you were trained by somebody, like, yeah, you might've been trained by somebody at a VFW hall who wrestled independently, but like, how long did that guy pay his bills doing nothing but wrestling? And it kind of goes off of what you were saying. Like, if you weren't making money doing it, then were you really doing it? You know what I mean? Like that was kind of the outlook on it. I also agree with what you were saying with the, uh, the Bucks and an Omega and those guys coming over the Bucks had a good solid run in a uh, ring of honor though. And I know you don't, you don't think highly of the Bucks, but I feel like there's, I don't think highly of the Bucks now. Let me start that by saying that I think the Bucks 10 years ago were a different entity, but now what they're doing is they're just emulating who they were like 10 years ago, stylistically by copying this really nasty made up, like, caricature of what a, a professional wrestling heel should look like. I feel like they're copying their matches, but they're just making this really ugly reference to what a heel should be. Nothing about what them what they're doing and nothing about what Kenny Omega is doing says to me real wrestling heel. They just kind of fake and act how they've seen other people do it in the past. Yeah, and you know the bucks here's the thing about the Bucks too. In Japan, they
1: were jobbers. Like they were part of the Bullet Club, but they were the jobbers of the Bullet
0: Club. Like they were the jobber tag team. Um, They had multiple tag team championships. They were the junior heavyweight tag team, the junior tag team champions multiple times. They held the IWP GP tag team champions multiple times. They were the six man tag, the never open weight six man tag team titles multiple times. Like, I I I get what you're saying by they were jobbers with the Bullet Club. But as a tag team, man, they've got stability everywhere they've gone. They've gotten over every federation they've ever wrestled in. I'm not yeah. saying they're the best by any means. Don't get me wrong. I'm not on the yeah. Young Bucks. I'm not on, like, the – I'm not eating the Young Buck Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not drinking it. But I think when they were young and were actually doing work, they, they were the first springy black flip super kick, you know, like – monkey show that's come around now they were the ones that started that
1: but yeah, they when they first
0: them. did it they started to, they were good at it so it was new and different then now everybody does it and they're too old to make it look good let's talk yeah. about the the tombstone did you see the failed basketball thing they did on wednesday night oh, when they did the uh it was them versus the dark order and hangman hey Adam page and they did the driver with the basketball and he missed the dunk when he was trying to do it and it was like the. and granted you know it's overworked to the way everybody's seen a tombstone so you know what good ones look like we you know what bad ones look like it was the fakest looking tombstone on the planet you could see that his head was nowhere near the ground just from the way the camera angle shot you watched him miss the basketball when he made the dunk like have you ever seen more of a botched spot like that on national television and for the entire team to celebrate it like they did something miraculous like they're i think things they do is crazy and stupid but i kind of like i said they're kind of just emulating themselves 10 years ago like did you see that that ridiculous like coming out in the space jam uh, jerseys and stuff
1: yeah. It's corporate greed. That's a, uh, you know, that's part of being TNT. Um, it was, it was stupid. Like granted, I've heard really bad things about space jam two. And yeah. this just shows like where, where it is versus like, what it like? I remember space jam one, this is way off topic. Space jam one, Bill Murray was doing these weird commercials. It's like, do you remember that? Read yes. that. Yeah. Yeah. Doing these very weird commercials, just bouncing a basketball, going down the street. You had no idea what Bill Murray was talking about. And then all of a sudden, he's in Space Jam. Like, in Space Jam 2, you put all the, your eggs in a basket with the Young Bucks and Omega. Like, the Elite. It made no sense. Like, this is how bad this movie is. Plus, LeBron James sucks and is one of the worst basketball players in the history of basketball
0: versus the guys that are in Brooklyn. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous thing you've ever said. What? LeBron James. There's no way you can sit there as a man and tell me you genuinely think LeBron James is one of the worst basketball players of all time. I'd say he's top
1: 50, but not one spot before. I put You can think think of
0: 49 other people that can outplay LeBron one-on-one in professional basketball.
1: Magic Johnson, uh, Larry Bird, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan. I'd say. Um, uh, what's four. You've, okay, got what's a, a, you've got you've to do that Utah. 11 more times. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, the guys from Utah. I'd say Chris Mullen. I'd
0: say. Um, (laughs) that's the dumbest hot take I remember you put Chris Mullen ahead of LeBron James is the greatest yes I put Chris
1: Mullen above LeBron James Charles Barkley Shaquille O'Neal Kobe Bryant um I pretty much say the entire dream team
0: the first dream team in 94 Uh, other than than, uh, I'll give you that 94 wasn't the dream team but the 94 was it was 92 it was in Barcelona (laughs) Yeah. I'd
1: say anybody on that dream team, 92, other
0: than, um, what's Leitner? Christian Leitner. Yeah. He was the last time a college player played for Team USA, too. I no. know. And it was supposed to be Shaq, but actually it was supposed to be, um,
1: uh, Detroit. I don't remember.
0: Isaiah. It was supposed Isaiah, to
1: be Isaiah. Yeah, it was supposed to be Isaiah Thomas, but, um. Jordan said no. Jordan put a hit on that. We all know Isaiah
0: got cut from the Dream Team because of Jordan. Uh, One, okay, I'll give you this. I'm impressed that you rattled off that many NBA players. But two, I feel like if you take a look at statistics, and I know you're not a big statistics guy, and you're going to be like, that doesn't make a difference. But uh, I'm not a a LeBron James fan. Let me me preface this by saying that I 100 100% believe without a doubt that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever play the game. 100%. He's the GOAT. LeBron James is my, in my top five of all time. For you to say that you can think of 49 other NBA players that are better than LeBron, I feel like all you're doing is saying hot takes for the sake of making hot takes. You're being a villainous hill. Trying to get people to come at you for the sake of getting people to come at you. You can't genuinely think that there are fifty other players better than him. That's like <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, um, uh, Kareem Bill jabbar There's so like so many different aspects of the game. Um, like I can't say Jordan's the best. Jordan no. is definitely like. Shot caller, boom, you throw the door Who's the greatest basketball Bobby, just
0: tell me who's the greatest NBA player of all time. Let's just cut to the chase then. I, if top 50, you got bronze 50. Who's number one? Who is? Magic, Magic Johnson.
1: I think Magic's the one. I think Kobe's two. I think Larry Bird is three. Um, yeah, that's my list. Magic had triple doubles nonstop. Uh. Bird, same thing. Kobe, he was a little bit more of a ball hog, but I think Kobe was there. I think Jordan was number four. You grew up in um, Florida. What was
0: your favorite NBA team growing up? You grew up probably watching, what, Penny Hardaway? What? That. Penny Hardaway, Orlando? Oh, Orlando, um, yeah,
1: yeah, I grew up watching that. Miami Heat, uh, Orlando Magic. Um, Miami <laughs>
0: Heat sucked for a long time. They sucked forever until LeBron got – I guess, no, I take that back. They won their first title in 2006, I think. Yeah, it was Shaq. Yeah, Shaq and Dwayne Wade. Shaq came in as a piece to that puzzle. though. Dwayne Wade was already ready to win a championship. They just needed one more piece to do so. Yeah, well, Shaq got drafted to Orlando, so
1: – Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. he played with Orlando forever. And then he went to the Lakers, and then he pretty much did the uh, – the uniform rainbow and he played for like 10 different teams at the end of his career. Show me the money. Yeah. I mean, he played for anybody that would sign him a contract. He played, yeah, in, Phoenix. Sure he, played, I mean, he even played for Boston at one point. I'm a lifelong Celtics fan. And I was like, Shaq plays for the Celtics. Like why? Like, why is that a thing? He played at the same time. Nate Robinson was on the Celtics. That's right. Yeah. Like, wasn't that his last season? Uh, I think after he played for the Celtics, I think he played one more year. Because he had a two-year contract with the C's, and then he went on and uh, pulled it up. Let's uh, we are way off topic. Okay, let's Weird. go fully back around. And let's go so Dean Ambrose. Yeah, we've we for, completely <laughs> forgot about Dean Ambrose. Let's go back there. Uh, good old John Moxley. Um, in my opinion, he's the best. He became the best worker of the three post Shield. I feel like he was the best talker. He was the best worker. He did the best overall like professional wrestling after the SHIELD.
1: Yeah, I think Ambrose was good. Um, obviously I think that's why he was chosen as the leader of the Shield at the beginning. Where he dropped off, I think his individual run. Um he got exposed to his interviews were always the same. Um his lunatic fringe thing was not the WWE look, like the tank top and the blue jeans. And I think the Stone Cold podcast buried him. What do you mean? Well, if you watch that podcast, Stone Cold looks genuinely pissed off the entire podcast. And as Moxley's talking, Stone Cold's like, where's your passion? Like, and... Moxley's like, oh, I'm just chill, bro. I'm like, I'm chill mode, and Stone Cold is like, what? Which, ironically, what? Um, Yeah, yeah. So they continue to talk, and Moxley like cuts this pretend promo if it was him versus Stone Cold, and Stone Cold, you know, comes right back at him, and you know goes right back for pretend, and Moxley has no. Come, like, no comment. He just goes, Oh, yeah. Well, you know, if that's where you'd want to carry the promo. And it just ended. And Stone Cold basically called him out for just being, you know, like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you not energetic? Like, this is your time to get over. Like, this is my podcast, the biggest superstar in the 90s in WWE. And you're dropping the ball. And I think that's where Ambrose, like, really lost his WWE love. If you watch that S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion or S.H.I.E.L.D. last call thing, Moxley says at the end, because the S.H.I.E.L.D. says so, and then drops the mic, and the other two guys laugh. Obviously, it was a shot at Stone Cold Steve Austin.
0: Yeah. Uh, You don't think he's come into it as he's evolved past his WWE days, because when he left in 2019, he re-signed with uh, New Japan. He had a chance to go back over there. And his character there, the really silent, bruiser, just beat people up and go kind of thing, very few words spoken, but just kind of carried himself. Like, do you not think that kind of helped him later in his career, though? Because I feel like that, that solemn, like, that not soft-spoken, but the very quiet, delivered dad voice. He's not mad. He's just disappointed. You know?
1: Yeah, so that to me, like, that screams Jake Roberts.
0: Yeah. right.
1: Like, Jake the Snake. Like, that screams him. Um, Moxley to me, he seems like a guy, he's doing this. He loves this, but he doesn't really know how to go any other way about this. Like, I feel like he was better in a group because he was protected. And he says you know he says whatever he says he just doesn't to me i'm not ever interested in a Moxley match like he does not make me want to turn on the tv to watch him like his wife makes me want to watch him because she's hot um but for <laughs> i know thanks Liv tyler um he sure just me, like, like tyler no i'm just saying like dude, i'm saying like you know She's hot too. Um, no, he, to me, like he does not make me want to go buy a ticket. Like I watch him because he's in the main event because he was a former WWE star, Mm -hmm. but now where he's at, like now he's lost the belt in AEW. I don't see any use for him. Um, you know, he brings his friends in just like all the other AEW guys. Um, he loses his Japan title to that friend. And now what? Like, what, what is John Moxley at this point in time other than a guy that used to be the WWE champion, used to be the AD, AEW champion? Where does he go from here? And, you know, when Hogan lost the belt, Warrior lost the belt, Savage lost the belt, um, you know, even Sean or Brett or anybody else, Undertaker, you knew where they were going. They were still gonna be on the top. John Moxley to me, he's lost this world title. I don't see him anywhere. He's, I don't about, see to anywhere.
0: A, he's about to get a push in New Japan. Like a big one. Yeah. Like, so I don't
1: speak I don't speak Japanese. Okay. Like, where do you feel? How do you feel about New Japan? Do you follow them a lot? No, I don't. I I see some of their matches. One of my one of the guys I came up with was Chase Owens. Um, he's in New Japan. He's in the Bullet Club. He just won a belt tournament, whatever. Um, you know, I'll watch. I'll watch Chase stuff. But other than that, I just don't really follow the whole, you know, New Japan thing. Like I know, you know, Tonga's good. Uh, Chase has always Chase has always been a jobber for Bullet Club um, for the past like seven years. Um, but you know, now he's finally getting a push. So. I might watch them a little bit more just because, you know, one of my boys is there, but other than that, I really don't care about new Japan.
0: Really? I just figured somebody like, I feel like they focus so much on the wrestling side of the business and the, the talent, especially the, the non-Japanese speaking talent gets so much free reign with what they can say. Like they pretty much get an open mic when they come out. Like, uh, uh switchblade jay white the leader of the current bullet club like when he came to america he he had restrictions on what he could say at impact versus what he's allowed to say at new japan because he over there they can pretty much say whatever they want and when he debuted at impact he was like what do you mean i can't say these things and they had like restrictions on things he was and wasn't allowed to talk about like and i just think it's funny that uh like the the freedoms that they have there, because for them, it's all the show there. So they can say real stuff. And they're just going to assume that it's fake. You know what I mean? They already assume everything that's happening is fake. It's just a show. So if you go out there and you're crying and you tell them that, you know, Vince McMahon is a doofus and he hits you over the head with a chair, they're just going to assume it's, you know, whatever. If CM Punk came out and dropped his promo, new japan would have just been like oh that's just the way it is it's just you know it's part of the story like that's the thing with them that everything is the story they don't have real and fake
1: yeah and you know again i'm their their audience is different um their production's different if you don't speak japanese and you're you know if if i went to mexico and picked up the mic then i wouldn't expect anybody to react to what i'm doing like you know like it's I'd have to be, like, you know, totally, like, visual. Like, it, um, if these guys go over to Japan, they get over. Like, Chase, Chase Owens, I'll tell you, he's a great professional wrestler. In the ring, he's phenomenal. Like, he's a uh, former Virginia state champion profe- uh, state uh, wrestler in high school. But Chase's personality sucks. Like, his mic skills suck. He gets over in Japan. He comes over here. He gets over in Knoxville, Tennessee. He gets over in Bristol, Tennessee. He gets over in Bristol, Virginia, because people know him. But if you put him on the stage of, you know, NXT, Chase is not going to get over. He's just a guy with a beer belly that, um, and sorry, Chase, if you're watching this, <laughs> um, but he's, he's not going to get over like that. Like, he, he can't talk you into the seat. He can, When he gets in the ring, second to none amazing but like a guy like a crispin Ma, can't talk into the ring dean can't talk into the ring when they get in the ring phenomenal but that's not chase that's not what new japan's all about your boy had a smackdown match in 2012 against ryback
0: yes he was part of a um tag team yeah to, to attack ryback he was nwa smoky mountain wrestling he was there with you i see that lots yeah. of tag team titles like he won a united states championship a tennessee tag team southeastern heavyweight champion he won the smoky mountain cup uh the Smoky, the nwa mountain empire championship whatever the hell that was like wow Yeah. he's won some yeah. NWA stuff too like i pulled his stuff up he just won the uh the kopw 2021 like cup too that's pretty cool like He's got some stuff. He worked, did some Mid Atlantic work. The junior heavyweight champion for Mid Atlantic, like yeah, cool. Well, your boy
1: did some work. That Mid Atlantic is BS. I worked for that guy too. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm not gonna knock Chase. Like Chase is a great guy. Like other than being a dick, and when he stayed over at my uh, grandmother's house one night for a WWE show, uh, he shaved and left all the friggin' hair in the sink. That's gross so I had to clean it up. <laughs> but No, it's, yeah, Chase, you know, and I also, um, when he won the junior heavyweight title, he needed to put money down on it. I think Flair's talked about $10,000 on the world title in the past. He had to, Chase had to put $200 down, so I gave him $200, bucks, and uh, he's not paid me back yet to this day. For which title? The junior heavyweight championship. <laughs> that's awesome KWA. yeah, yeah. And, um i was the ring announcer when ricky morton beat him for that belt in knoxville <laughs> or, or not knoxville in uh king uh kingsport that's so awesome you, yeah so if you watch ricky morton win the, that belt that's my that's me talking that's
0: awesome yeah but yeah chase still owes me 200 bucks I'm taking notes right now. I'm putting that. I'm putting him on blast on Twitter. <laughs> Chase, give me my money <laughs> from Mid Atlantic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you your money back. We're going hard. So let's finish up on uh, John Moxley real quick. We're looking at his post Shield career. He was the only person to hold the IWGP United States title. Um, the WWE heavyweight or the WWE United States title. He's the only person to hold the WWE, AEW and new Japan championships um, stretching across. I mean, his career speaks for itself post WWE. He was one of the original guys that uh, one of the original, like all elite guys on their uh, program. He came in at all out. He was part of the original championship push. Chris Jericho got it. He beat Kenny Omega, not Kenny Omega. He beat uh Hangman Adam Page in the final for the AEW title. Adam Page beat uh, John Moxley. So, um, yeah. So then you just taking a look at all that. Then uh, he made his dynamite uh, return when he did a lights out match against Omega. Uh, he's notoriously known for these lights out and these like garbage mud show matches. He did one with Nick Gage. Um, who recently was on AEW. Have you seen that? Uh, he's the uh, the bank robber who did the dark side of the, the ring thing for the Deathmatch stuff where he was dead for like six minutes and all of that. Uh, he's been addicted to drugs. He's robbed a bank. Um, he does the GCW stuff with uh, those guys based out of New Jersey. Um, he came out and did it. He cut Chris Jericho with a pizza cutter. Like AEW got a bunch of AEW got a bunch of flack for that from Domino's, uh, like because they were mad and they pulled all of their ads from AEW televised events because they were like they didn't want the pizza cutter to be like part of the thing with AEW now or whatever. I think that's ridiculous, but I it's kind of funny all at the same time. Um, the fact that
1: AEW put Nick Cage on national TV was embarrassing. Like, you think so? Just because. Yeah, he, he had publicity from that Dark Side of the Ring show. Yeah, only reason he got on there, they could have picked a million other indie guys, but they put him on there just for that national publicity. Um, that that one guy with the um, he looks like Luke Harper or Luke Harper. Um, oh, he was in a he was in um, one of the WWE or one of the documentaries for wrestling. Like, that guy, to me, like, would have been better on there. Um, Nick Cage is a joke. Like, he's an absolute joke. Um, And he only got on there because he's friends with Ambrose. And Ambrose, Ambrose, he won't get out of his way for being famous. Like, if he just accepted that he's a decent professional wrestler, he can talk in the microphone, he'd be okay. But, like, if you look at him back before NXT, he confronted Mick Foley at a convention. Did you ever see that? I've heard about it, but I've never seen yeah. it. He confronted Foley at a convention saying that, you know, people die because of you. Like, it's all your fault. And Foley was like just sitting there going, like, What? Like, is this a work? Like, what's going on? Like, Ambrose will not get out of his way. Like, the best thing I could ever say that Dean Ambrose has ever done Renee Young.
0: Yeah. I mean, you don't think any of the death matches, what do you think about that exploding uh, exploding green death match, exploding barbed wire death match you had against uh, Kenny Omega there? Um, the pyros <laughs> didn't work.
1: Nothing worked. It was, yeah, it was just bad. Like, how do you not, like, if you're on pyro and you got that kind of stuff, I'd say this is the one time that you actually want to do a pre-performance and practice session. To see how it all works like mm-hmm. we do fireworks every night at the park i work at we practice yeah. our fireworks like if you can't practice your fireworks it's uh what was that the wcw pay-per-view where they had the cage that was supposed to be electrified and the handle dropped in the middle of the match and didn't oh. electrify without oh, yeah the books don't yeah, without little... yeah like why not Again, history. Learn from learn from your learn from history. Like, why did you not at least practice this stuff to make sure the explosion was gonna look good instead of some guy just like humping you in the middle of the ring, covering you, like because it didn't work.
0: You're, you're so also John, right. Mox-
1: John Moxley and Matt Hardy, Christian, they're all starting to fall into this Tony Khan just money. And it's starting to just show we're just here for the money. So it's a Jerry Maguire environment over there.
0: <laughs> they're just showing him the money so he'll stay and do it. All right. Well, that gets us through the shield. Uh, what, do you, what, what are your closing comments on the shield? What do you think of them as a whole? Uh, you said that they're one of your, your top staples of all time. Um, do you think the shield as a whole will eventually end up in the WWE Hall of Fame?
1: Yeah, I definitely WWE Hall of Fame. Um, I think, again, top 10 uh, stables of all time. The guys all individually did amazing things together. They did amazing things. Um, they've beaten other factions that deserve to be there, like Evolution. Um, they've taken down tag teams, you know, like the New Day and stuff like that, that are all show factions as well. Um, I think the Shield, their impact from NXT, their impact in WWE, has been phenomenal, and I think that uh, at the end of the day, those three guys together were separate as Dean Ambrose, uh, Roman Reigns, and Seth Rollins, those three guys will go down as individual Hall of Famers as well as one complete group, the Shield.
0: Okay, I definitely agree. I think that Rollins and Reigns will definitely go in as Hall of Famers. I think Ambrose will eventually have to play face and go back and uh, kiss up to, to Daddy McMahon for him to get in. But I think he has a career to do so as well if he comes back and makes face. But I feel like they all kind of do that. Like a lot of these guys, Mark Henry's already in the Hall of Fame, so it won't matter. He'll go back and redo his Legends contract. Paul White will go back and redo his Legends contract. Rick Flair just got released. He'll go back eventually and redo his uh Legends contract. All these guys are going there Is two times? What do you what's the two? Flair's already got two. Like, already got two no, 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 I'm talking about his contract. I mean, Hall of Famer. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, no, no, no. He's he he asked to be released from his Legends contract. He's got 14 heavy, 16 heavyweight titles. Why are you doing gang signs on the camera? That makes me feel uncomfortable. Did you move to Florida and join the Crips? Is that what happened here? <laughs> you joined Florida and just started making gangs up as you go. You can't, It doesn't count if it's below your It's got to be below your waist. You got to follow the rules, kid. All right, this is derailing quick. Bobby Mack, tell us where we can find you. You can find me on uh, YouTube. You
1: can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, definitely, though, find me on...
0: Um, what's the one called i don't know what which one are you using now my favorite one i'm not saying it for you mm-hmm. who do you think i am no say no. It. no this is my show you're gonna promote Why? your We're stuff no i'm just not saying it. i'm not promoting anybody else's apps on my show oh where, my God. You, it's your fault i asked you to promote Where's your stuff? where can you find your stuff i'm not saying it for you i find myself in my apartment all the time Okay, well, thanks, Bobby. It's good to see you. I appreciate <laughs> you coming by. <laughs> you got anything else to say? Are you going to say it? I'm not saying it. Why? Because I will I cut all this out. I will cut this out of the reporting. <laughs> think you the card to say it.
1: All right, follow me, yellow shoe guy. Anytime you want, any place you find me, I'm all around Oh, was that so hard, Bubba?
0: Did that hurt him? That hurt him so bad. His little heart. Bobby, I appreciate you coming by. You are my favorite heel. I will always give you vitriol. I appreciate everything you do, my friend. And I will talk to you very soon. Now, as we close another episode of Botch Spots and Chair Shots, I'd like to take a second to thank you for listening. Remind you to go to wherever you pick up your favorite podcast. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Jeez. You guys have all the options. Take a moment to like, subscribe, unsubscribe, then subscribe again. Leave a comment telling us how great we are or how terrible we sound. Either way, it helps the algorithm and finds new listeners. It helps to get our word out there. Make sure to follow us on Spots and Share Shots on Twitter and Instagram. I am your host. He, Will Gray, and thanks for stopping by and listening, my people.